Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Hey, Crux family, so excited for tonight. Tonight is the official second time we have ever done house church. It's a little bit different right now with everything going on in the world. I know instead of meeting in small groups, we asked you just to stay at your homes uh, and we are sending the content to you. So thank you so much for being flexible. But I know that this week, something special is going to happen in your hearts. This is going to be a week of intimacy with you and the Lord, and God is going to do something uh, so deep. And so I want to ask you, please go through this whole message, okay? Uh, go Spend time where it would have been small group questions. Take that moment to pause the video and do reflection questions where you're asking the Lord these questions to get in your heart. We're starting a new series this week. I'm really excited about it. We will be covering this series all the way uh, up and until Easter, but basically the series is called The Kingdom of God or The Kingdom of Heaven, and we're going to be looking at what are those foundational things in uh, in the scriptures that Jesus did to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Come on, the world now more than ever needs a message of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. So tonight we're going to focus on what are those things and how do we first get the kingdom of heaven in our own hearts, in our own lives, and then from that place transform the world around us. So tonight we're focused on those inner blocks of the kingdom of heaven inside of us. You'll notice the rest of the video is filmed at my house because this was a pre-recorded video that um, filmed at my home for House Church. And the video is just going to jump right on into the lesson, okay? So get your notes ready, get the questions ready, get some popcorn or get some soda or whatever it is for you to relax and just enjoy this message, okay? And just get your hearts prepared. And so I'm just going to pray and then We'll hop in. Lord, I ask that this week, Lord, it, that you would go deep inside of our hearts. God, I ask that this week the kingdom of heaven would become so real to us that it would go deep and transform us. Tonight, Lord, would you speak through this message, speak right to us, and, and change us, God. Would this not be a message that changes uh, just cool information in our mind, but one that transforms the paradigm of how we see the kingdom of heaven. But we love you, Lord. We give you this night. We give you this time. And we just ask that you would speak to us and ultimately to the world around us through us. We love you, Lord, and we give it to you. In your name, amen. All right, just going to jump right on in. Love you guys. Have a good time listening to this message. Um, I'm actually really stoked for tonight uh, because th during this house church night, we are actually going to be starting a new series, which we are going to be going after until pretty much up until Easter and even through Easter again. Uh, we are going to be doing the series and it is going to be called the Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. I'm really excited. Uh, basically, what we're going to do this time is we're going to be studying uh, the life of Jesus uh, basically all the way through his ministry up until his death into Easter Sunday and then the resurrection and then what does that mean for the new believer and as we walk in a resurrected life with Jesus afterwards. That's going to be after Easter, but we're going to spend a chunk of time focusing on just the kingdom of God in Jesus's ministry. And, and what does that mean and what does that look like? You see, uh, Jesus brought the kingdom of God everywhere that he went. You know, Jesus... Uh, he is 
perfect Christianity. When you look at him, he is perfect uh, theology, right? Everywhere Jesus goes, he shows us what the perfect Christian life looks like. Jesus shows us uh, really what the will of God is. Everything you see Jesus doing here, you, you look at it and you say, that was God's will, and that is something to teach us uh, for today right and for here. here. So, I just have a, a random story for you. It wouldn't be one of my sermons unless there was an actual story involved, right? And so this story actually uh, begins with a friend of mine. And I won't, say, I won't say his name, right? But a friend of mine, y'all can probably guess it, right? But he has a little brother. And basically, he decided one day to teach his little brother how to ride a bike, okay? This is one of my favorite stories of their, their brotherhood, okay? When I say that, you would think, okay, this is like him teaching his like five, six-year-old brother how to ride a bike, right? No, no, no. His brother was like 17, maybe 18, right? And he had a secret that he had never learned how to ride a bike. And kind of embarrassing, right? And so he never told anyone that he does not know how to ride a bike. So we all just assumed, and we were hanging out one day, and we found out that the poor dude never learned how to ride a bike. And so we all give him a hard time and we basically say, okay, yeah, we're, well, we're gonna teach you one day. And he's just like, forget you. I don't need how to ride a bike, whatever. I'm never gonna use it in life, kind of this talk, right? And so basically one day, uh, his brother, basically he liked a, uh, this card game and he liked to go to tournaments that played this game, okay? So his brother one day offered to take him to one of the card tournaments. And he said, you know what? I'll take you there and I'll hang out with you and it'll be super fun and we'll have a brother day. So him and his friend went and grabbed his little brother and his little brother has his deck of cards. He's excited. They're talking strategy for this game as they're driving on their way to the card shop. You know, they're talking all about it. Little brother's excited. They pull into a parking lot and the little brother gets out and he just sees dirt everywhere. And he realizes there's no card. There's no, there's no card shop anywhere near here. And then out from behind the car, the older brother comes wheeling a bike <laughs> and looks at him and says, it's time. <laughs> and the little brother goes, no, dude, no, don't mess with me, man. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And he says, it's time to learn how to ride a bike. And, and the little brother just starts saying, dude, stop it. Stop it. Take me home. This is stupid. You're being stupid. And the brother says, we ain't going anywhere until you learn how to ride this bike. And basically, he's just like, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Mom doesn't know where you are. She thinks you're just, you're just had a card game with me. There's no way anyone's ever gonna know. And we will leave you here unless you get on the bike. So finally, the brother just is like, oh, you're stupid, right? But he's like, whatever. And he finally, he gets on the bike. And he's like, ah, oh, he's trying to humor him, right? And then the brother starts to teach him. And then he starts to say, okay, this is how you ride a bike. And he says, you know, this is where you put your feet. This is the pedals. This is the brake. You know, this is how you do all the things, right? And then he kind of starts to push him. And the 17-year-old brother kind of is freaking out. He's like shaking on the thing, right? And they start to go real slow. And he says, it's okay. Go slow. I'm right here. I'm with you, you know? And then, of course, what's he going to do? right? Uh, every parent, every movie, everything we see this, right? Where the kid's like, don't let go. But in this case, it's like a 17-year-old man. Go, don't let go of me, bro. Don't let go of me, right? And he's pushing him. I won't let go of you. I won't let go. And then what does he do? 
he obviously, he lets go. And the older brother's gone. He's like, what? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And he's like, yeah, I'm riding a bike. Right? And then he looks and he sees his older brother's not holding on to it anymore. And he starts yelling, dude, you let go. You lied to me. Right? And basically he's, he's going and then he turns and he, he realizes he's doing it. And he's riding it on his own. And he's riding around, riding around. And he starts freaking out. I'm riding a bike. Yeah. Right? Then when it was time to go, he didn't want to go. Because he was so stoked that he was riding his bike his first time ever. So, you're never too old to learn how to ride a bike. And if you have anyone in your small group that doesn't know how, I don't know, maybe you should pause the video and go teach them, right? But if not, make it time for afterwards. And if they don't want to, just surprise them and show them how to learn how to ride a bike, right? So, but basically, what does this have to do with anything? Well, I believe that this was actually a perfect analogy for when Jesus came to earth. You see, Jesus came not just to do it for you, not just to be like, hey, look at me ride the bike. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, look at me walk in miracles. Look at me establish the kingdom of God. Look at me uh, do this thing. You can sit back and watch. No, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God through you and to teach you how to bring it, right? Um, he, he basically, he, can't, he comes down and literally 126 times, more than any other topic in the entire New, New Testament Gospels, Jesus says this line, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's constantly, the parables, the teaching, Jesus is constantly saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is how the kingdom of heaven operates. This is how, and he's doing it with the disciples. And he says, watch me. And he prays, brings a miracle. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he starts to explain it to them. And then what does he do? He does it with the disciples, right? And, and then he sends them out and says, go do this. Go do the miracles I've done. Go ride the bike. Go for it, right? I'm right here. I'm going to be holding on, but you got to ride it as well. And we see this in, in John 14, 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. What were the works? They were getting people saved. They were miracles. They were crazy things happening, right? Uh, and he says, great. He says, these they will do the same works I've done and even greater works. He says, you're going to learn to ride the bike even further than I ever went, right? Because I'm going to go be with the Father. You see, Jesus wasn't happy just saying, you guys be in awe of me riding this bike called the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's time. I'm here to tell you it is here. The kingdom of heaven has come. Now get on. Let me teach you how to ride, and you ride it further than I ever did. The, then it says Jesus is coming on the scene, and this is the first glimpse we see of Jesus in the Bible. Here we go. It says, one day Jesus came from the Galilean village of Nazareth. That's where he was from, his hometown. And had John immerse him in the Jordan River. He was getting baptized. It says, the moment Jesus rose up out of the water, John saw the heavenly realm split open and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him. Verse 11, at the same time, a voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my son, my cherished one, 
my greatest delight is in you. Other versions say, you are my son. In you, I am well pleased. So when I look at this and I said, okay, Jesus came on the scene, bringing the kingdom of heaven. What is the first thing we see and we learn about him? Is this line, you are my son. That he was a son. The first thing we ever see of Jesus, we don't know what he has done yet. We don't know his backstory. Remember the story of Luke and the virgin birth and all that, that happened, that was written later, like years later. This would have been the first. So try to forget everything you know from other verses. This is the beginning. The first thing we ever know about Jesus is that he is a son. We don't know he can do miracles yet. We don't know uh, he can feed the 5,000. We don't know he can heal. We don't know anything yet. All we know is that apparently God says, this is my son. What is the first thing, the first foundational block in the kingdom of heaven getting built in your life and in the world around you is this sonship. Being a son or being a daughter, being a child of God is the first thing we learn about Jesus. And I believe it is the first block in the kingdom of God. It is the first step in your life. It is the first of the first of the first is that I have to get into me that I am now a son or, or daughter of, right? And so imagine back in the day, just go with me for a second. Imagine back, I don't know, let's say like England or, or Paris or Russia or China, like picture whatever your favorite kingdom history is, okay? Picture like England. The king rules the land, right? And he has loyal subjects his whole life, right? Uh, he has captains and generals and servants and uh, people who are hard workers, uh, hired people, people he trusts, his security guard, his bodyguard team, all that stuff. And there's some of them that were with him for decades, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, serving him faithfully, right? And they've learned a lot and they're super mature. They're super trustworthy. They run his entire army. Surely they would be qualified if something ever happened to the king to maybe take the throne on behalf of him. They'd rule it maybe like him even to a degree because they ran with him for 30 years, right? But think of it though like this. The minute the king has a son, the minute that child is born, they are born into a higher position than that servant has worked under for 30 years. That servants faithfully, that captain, that general, faithfully served for 30 years, rose their way through the ranks to be next to the king. But the minute that child is born, day one, little baby, he is in a higher position than that other one who's a worker because he is a son. He didn't, it didn't matter that the other person was smarter than this baby. Didn't matter that the other person was more mature than this baby. Didn't matter that the other church person was definitely a better leader than this baby at this point. All the baby could do was eat, cry, and poop, and make a mess, right? And be a baby. And yet that baby actually has more authority than that captain or that general in the armies. 
Why? Because the baby was a prince, the son of the king. You see, does he need to mature? Yeah, he's got to learn how to be a prince, right? Does he need to grow? Yeah, absolutely, right? But the, the inheritance he gets has nothing to do with his maturity or his works, but his position as a son, right? And so Romans 8.15, it says that you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was the Hebrew word basically for dad. It was like daddy. They would say, Abba. It was the first syllable kids could say. They'd go, Abba, 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 right? And so that word became Abba. It was like dada, right? And so he's saying that you're not slaves, right? See, slaves had the position of a worker forever. But he says, you were born, and the minute you cried, Abba, Dada, the minute you cried that out, you were higher than someone who had been a worker their entire life. This is the position you are now. So practically, do you view your life through the lens of a son or a daughter? Or do you view your life through like a permanent worker, a slave, orphan kind of a mentality? You see, sons and daughters, they, they're secure in who they are. Think Lion King, right? Think Simba. He's like singing, I just can't wait to be king. He's a confident little kid. They're secure in their position as sons and daughters, whereas workers are always insecure because they think if they mess up, they're going to get fired or they won't get paid. So are you secure in who you are? That means you're a son or daughter and that you, you know you are. Do you feel insecure in who you are? Do you feel like you don't like who you are? You don't like how you look. You don't like how you sound. You don't, you don't like those quirks about you. That's a big red flag that says you see yourself not as a son or daughter, but as an orphan or as a worker trying to be accepted. You see, sons and daughters, they don't need to prove themselves, whereas often workers have to try to prove themselves to get promoted, right? But you, you don't have to prove yourself to God in the kingdom of heaven, because you're a son or a daughter. You know, sons and daughters, they're okay failing, because they know if they mess up, they don't lose a position. I can mess up as a son, and I still have my dad. Whereas if workers mess up bad enough, they get fired. You're not a worker in the kingdom of heaven. You can't get fired out of it. There is a deep security and an acceptance that comes into you when you know you're a son and do you, do you believe that? Do you struggle with acceptance? Do you feel like you can't be accepted by your friends or that group or that college or that, that guy or that girl, or you're always worried about getting rejected or always worried about getting hurt? That's a clear sign that the kingdom of heaven, that first block hasn't gotten into your heart yet. This is where you got to start. You know, uh, some other examples like uh, that says, I have to have the latest fashion, right? Uh, I have to have the latest thing so people think uh, I'm cool. I have to have the most likes or the most views on uh, Instagram or YouTube or TikTok or Snapchat face, Insta snap your face, talk, tick, book, thing, whatever, you know what I mean, right? basically, do you have to get the most of that, right? Are you one of those people where you post in, if it doesn't get enough likes, you remove it, right? That's a big sign. Oh, I'm looking for human approval, right? 
Uh, do you have to make the team to be a success? Do you have to get chosen every time to feel accepted? Do you have to get the grade to prove that you're smart enough? You see, this will transfer, this mentality will transfer to your faith. You'll think I have to pray more, read more, evangelize more, study more in order for me to be accepted by God. Whereas sons and daughters should be able to be at rest. You see, it's okay to like have social media and it's okay to like fashion and sports and all these things. But when you do it from the place of being accepted as a son or daughter, then it's like, hey, I wear this fashion because I like it. And that's it. Or, hey, I, I posted this on social media just because I felt like posting it, right? Uh, I, I went out for this team because I like baseball or soccer or basketball, right? And if I fail, it's okay. Nothing's wrong with me if I fail. It's actually an okay, good thing sometimes to fail, you know? And so when you have a son or daughter, there's this security. You're not worried about your works. In the kingdom of God, I pray because I just want to connect with my father. Not because I'm a bad Christian if I don't. I evangelize because I want people to know about my father. Not because I'm a bad Christian if I, if I don't. You know, I worship because I want to connect with my God. This is why I can lift my hands in worship or I can get on my knees or I can yell out loud. You know, before when I had this mentality of an orphan, I would sing and I'd be worried, oh, did they see me, hear me? Oh, I sound so bad. Or I would close my eyes and raise my hand and be like, oh, they think I look stupid, everyone. And my worship time was all about the people around me. But when I realized I was a son, I was able to lift my hands, yell out praise, get on my knees, cry, laugh, because I didn't care what the people around me thought. I knew I was accepted by my dad. The kingdom of God had come into my heart. And if you want the kingdom of God more in your life, this is where you have to start. And this is where you have to forever return to. Some of you are like, oh, I've heard the message before on identity. Go back. If you have that mentality, then you haven't heard it enough. It is the one thing in a billion years we will still get deeper revelation of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. All right, so what was that second foundational block that I believe is in the kingdom of God, how to get it in you and through you? The first one was knowing you are a son or a daughter. The second foundational block that I believe building uh, the kingdom of God in your life is actually found in the second half of that same verse we read earlier. When Jesus was baptized in the water, he comes up and it says this, God said to him, you are my son. That was block number one. The second part, it says this, in whom I am well pleased. The other version we read earlier said, my cherished one, my greatest delight is in you. See, I believe that that second foundational block is actually this, the pleasure of God in you. It's one thing to say that you know that God loves you, but it's another thing to say that he's proud of you, that he's pleased with you, that he enjoys you. So often we think that God is angry. We think he's disappointed. We think that he's just waiting, saying, oh, you should have done so much more. And we don't believe the truth that says he finds pleasure in just delighting in you, just being around you. 
And, and this, I believe, is that second block of identity that brings the kingdom of heaven into your life. Because you see this, what's crazy is that, remember, we don't know anything about Jesus yet in the story. That, that all those miracles hadn't been written yet. All of those things we know what Jesus does hadn't happened yet. All we know is that Jesus was this guy. Uh, scholars tell us that he was probably in his 30s and that he was a carpenter. That he had basically lived a, a normal life in the sense that no one really knew anything special about him. He hadn't done miracles yet. He hadn't preached messages yet. He hadn't fed thousands yet. None of that had happened yet. And yet God says, I am so pleased with you. You see, if God had said he was pleased with Jesus after the miracles, at the end of the story, uh, after the teachings, after the sacrifice, after all of that, I'm telling you, we would hear so many messages from the pulpit all over the world, all throughout centuries that say, if you want God to be pleased, then you have to do the things Jesus did. You have to teach, you have to do miracles, you have to, all this stuff. And we would hear all these things like, if you want to please God, then you have to do, 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 work, 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 all these things. And then when you look so much like Jesus, then he will finally be pleased with you. That's what we would hear. But that's just not the truth. The story is the opposite. That before Jesus did any of that, God was already pleased with him. He was already happy with his life before he even lived out his full calling yet. He was already happy with him before he would even ch change the world or was doing these things for him. And that tells us that we live from the foundational block. The kingdom of heaven flows through the fact that God is already pleased with you. He already delights in you. God's love and his pleasure is that first, uh, that, or that second block that is building the kingdom of heaven in your life. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, I'll be a better Christian if I evangelize more, if I do more miracles. Or, or oh, I, I, if, I, if I pray more, or if I do more, then God will be less disappointed in me. Or if I see more success in ministry, or if I tell more people about him, and all these things, right? Uh, but really, that's, that's not what it's for. Because you see, if it was, the, the problem is this, that if we do really well, and we tell all these people, and we build this great ministry, and we are doing all these works for him, then pride begins to creep in that says, I'm a good Christian because of how much I do, right? Or the reverse swings the other way. That says, if I had a bad day, if I didn't get anyone saved, if I didn't pray for anyone, if I look at my ministry and I'm like, this is lame, uh, then I would say, well, I must be a really bad Christian. So both extremes would happen. Though they would think they're good Christians based on their work or they're bad Christians based on the lack of their work. That Jesus is more pleased with them because of how much they're doing or less pleased with them because of how bad they are at what they're doing. But neither one of those is true. The foundation is on the fact that he is already pleased with you no matter what. That means that if you have a great day in ministry, you can say, well, it's just all because of his love. And if you have a horrible day in life, you can say, well, his love's enough. That's still my foundation. If you have tragedy hit, you could say, well, I know God still is there and his love's enough. If I mess up, I can say, well, I know 
I messed up, but God still loves me and delights being with me. You, uh, this is it, is that first you're a child of God and second, he is pleased with you. This is the start. Everything I do is out of the place that he's pleased with me. I pray for people because he's pleased with me. I pray for miracles because I know he delights in me. I go spend time with him because I know he loves to be with me. All these things come from his pleasure, not for his pleasure, if that makes sense, right? And so Jesus was in public ministry for only three years. He lived 33 and only three of them he was doing ministry. That means for every 10 years, he had one year of ministry. 10 years of just being alone with God for one year of the crowds. 10 years of just finding delight in God alone. One year of being with people. I believe that is why he was unshakable. He didn't, he was, he knew God was pleased with him before the crowds ever came. And that's why when they criticized him, it didn't affect him at all. Because he already knew that God was pleased with him already. With the crowds come, crowds go. People come, people go. But he had this one thing. God was pleased with him. I was talking to this guy. He was like kind of a known evangelist and kind of world uh, just just revivalist kind of guy, right? His name was Sean Smith, and I was driving him to the airport, and, and I asked him, hey, if you were my age, what is the one thing, if you could go back, what would you tell yourself? What would you do different? And he actually said of everything he would tell himself, the number one thing he would, he would do different or, or tell himself is this, that he would focus more on the pleasure of God in him, that he would focus more on how much God delighted in him. He wouldn't be so worried about doing stuff for Jesus that he would focus way more on how much Jesus already found pleasure in who he was. He said it would have created so much more rest in his life. It would have taken away so much fear, taken away so much stress. He said, I, I would go back and I would tell myself, God is so pleased with you for how you are now. He's so pleased with you. That doesn't mean we don't change or mature or grow, right, and get sanctified even more uh, and mature in our faith. But where you are at now, he's pleased with you. When you can't even ride the bike yet, he's already pleased with you. He doesn't love you or pleasure more with you because you know how to ride the bike. It was actually his pleasure in you that caused him to want to teach you how to ride the bike, okay? So go ahead, jump back into your questions and begin to talk about God's delight in you as a foundational block in the kingdom of heaven. Hey Crux, hope you enjoyed the message tonight uh, for our house church. And I hope that, that even though we didn't meet together as a group, that God was doing something special in your hearts, that he was speaking to you through those reflection questions. And I really hope that you got a good feel for what those inner foundational blocks are to start getting the kingdom of God inside of you. Next week, we're going to go deeper into this message and the series about the kingdom of God. And we're going to begin to talk about uh, what are those pillars or those, those next blocks, so to speak, that you need to start establishing in your life as you take the kingdom of God from inward to outward into the world around you. Okay, so stay tuned. It's going to be a great message next week. Um, but in the meanwhile, stay safe. Uh, we're praying for you. Stay connected with us and, and a part of the Crux family. I know a lot of you are transitioning or you're moving 
moving back home or you don't know what's going on, please text us, call us, message us on social media, whatever you need to do, just uh, don't disconnect. We'd love to stay with you as a family during this time, okay? So reach out to the leaders for prayer and whatever we can do to love you guys. And we're so excited for the next time we get to meet. But in the meanwhile, we'll be praying for you. All right, love you, Crux. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.